Chapter 19 of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 19 Secrets. It had been the most wonderful day of Pollyanna's life, and the longest as well. Every time she looked at the clock she felt certain that it had stopped, and was quite astonished when she went close to find it ticking away with its usual unhurrying rhythm. She was counting the minutes till Jimmy's return, for she had a secret to tell him, the most marvellous secret in the world. On the whole, she was inclined to think that it would not be necessary for her to say a word, that as soon as he looked into her eyes he would read there the heavenly truth. One of Pollyanna's cherished treasures— was a picture of Jimmy, taken soon after his adoption by John Pendleton, a manly little fellow standing up to the ordeal of facing a camera, as he had stood up to harder things in his short life. The freckled face was sternly resolute, the boyish smile almost grim. Viewed merely as a photograph, it left much to be desired, but Pollyanna loved it because it brought before her so clearly the Jimmy she had first known. She took the picture in its little silver frame from her dressing-table, and studied it with absorbed attention, trying to fancy how Jimmy must have looked years before that picture was taken, when a fuzz of down was the sole prophecy of his heavy thatch of dark hair, when his delicious twisted smile revealed toothless gums, when the art of speech was yet to be mastered, and when his chubby legs, though capable of very vigorous kicking, were quite useless for purposes of locomotion. Pollyanna would have given almost anything she possessed to have secured a picture of Jimmy as a baby. "'I shall call him James,' Pollyanna remarked in confidence to the photograph which stared back at her in the most uncompromising fashion, as if to intimate disapproval of her decision. Pollyanna had no intention of changing her method of addressing her husband. Jimmy was Jimmy. While she recognized James Pendleton as a very estimable young man and admired him extremely, she doubted ever feeling really acquainted with him as she did with Jimmy. Pollyanna was not referring to her husband when she announced her intention of calling somebody James. She sat with a little silver-rimmed photograph in her hand, her heart full of a rapture so unselfish and so beautiful that she had felt herself akin to everything high and holy— it would hardly have surprised her if suddenly an angel had stood before her and called her blessed. Only she did not feel any need of angelic assurance. Never had God seemed so close as now, when, entrusting to her life's supreme responsibility, he had blessed her beyond all computation. When Judith's knock at the door roused her from her reverie, Pollyanna felt the need of veiling the brightness of her face as Moses did when descending from the mount. She feared the radiance of her look would betray the heights where she had stood, and Jimmy must be the first to know her secret. Yet, though she made an effort to banish the evident traces of that inward joy, she was not quite successful. Judith, on entering, glanced at her casually and then blinked, as if dazed. "'Pollyanna, dear, how perfectly lovely you look! You make me think of a garden full of spring flowers!' "'Oh, that's too much of a compliment, Judith. "'It would be enough to say that I reminded you of a daffodil or a narcissus. "'There's not enough of me for a garden.' "'Judith slipped an arm about her friend and hugged her fondly. "'There's not so much of you in pounds, but in other ways "'there's enough of you to make a park, all full of lovely things. 
Pollyanna, do you know, I really think I'm going to make a success playing your game. Why, of course, said Pollyanna. No, it's not of course at all. I botched it for a long time, but at last I think I'm started. And Judith told of the resolution made the previous day, and of subsequent events while Pollyanna filled with that strange sense of remoteness from an earth where trouble and anxiety are factors to be reckoned with, listened and smiled, and made the proper answers, feeling all the time as if she were speaking from a great distance. Judith's call was a long one, and to Pollyanna it seemed even longer than it really was, because of her apprehension that she would remain till Jimmy came. Pollyanna loved Judith, but that prospect made her uneasy. There are some little garden spots in experience where there is room only for two. Some of life's sweetest music is written for two voices, and a third, no matter how sweet in itself, makes a discordant note. Pollyanna was honestly thankful when Judith kissed her goodbye. As her guest stepped out into the corridor, Pollyanna heard Jimmy's voice greeting her in gay friendliness, and she held the door ajar. It seemed to her that all her life, without knowing it, she had waited for that moment. Jimmy came into the hall, and without speaking took her in his arms. She felt at once something new in the quality of his clasp. He strained her to his heart as if they had been separated for a long time, or as if they were on the brink of a separation. For a moment she thought that her half-fanciful expectation had been realized, and that, at the first glimpse of her, he had known all she had to tell him. But when suddenly he sighed, a sigh heavy with foreboding, she drew back to look into his face, and a little shiver ran over her. "'Jimmy, dear, something is wrong, isn't it? What has happened?' He hesitated, as if seeking an answer that would not distress her, and finally said, "'Nothing has happened, exactly. But haven't you something to tell me?' "'Yes, dear, I have.' Again he hesitated. Then he frowned impatiently. "'I'm a fool to blurt this out the minute I'm inside the house. We'll talk it over later, when we've been fortified by a good dinner.' There was no longer any need to veil her face, to hide that tell-tale radiance. All day she had walked on air. Now she felt the need of placing her feet securely on the solid earth. She went about the work of preparing dinner, rallying her courage to meet bravely whatever the future held. But the glory of the day had set with the sun. They made a rather pathetic pretense of small talk at dinner. Jimmy joked a great deal, told a number of stories, quite forgetting the point of one, laughed more than was necessary, and helped himself twice to everything on the table, though Pollyanna would have taken her oath that he hardly knew what he was eating. They made slow work of the after-dinner tasks. More and more Pollyanna dreaded the coming of the moment when she should hear Jimmy's secret. Something urged her to exaggerated deliberation. She took time for a number of quite unnecessary things, obeying humanity's unfailing instinct to put off the inevitable. But then, at last, he followed her into the living-room and took her hand. She knew the time had come. "'Sit down beside me, darling, and help me all you can. It's not going to be easy to say what I've got to tell you.' "'Jimmy,' Pollyanna answered, white-lipped, for all her brave words, "'whatever it is, it is all right.' Apparently her answer did not make it easier for him. He turned away his head, but not too quickly for her to see that the tears had started to his eyes. He waited to speak till he could be sure that his voice was quite steady. Pollyanna, there is no longer any doubt that America's going into the war. Breaking off relations with Germany isn't enough. 
We've got to help in the job of saving civilization, and you and I must do our bit. Her hand stirred in his, and he tightened his hold upon it, otherwise neither moved. There comes a time, dearest, when a man feels that his own life and happiness hardly counts. He's in the grip of something bigger than his little hopes and ambitions. It isn't that I'm forgetful of what I owe you. My heart turns to water at the mere thought of leaving you, and of what you may have to suffer. But I haven't any right to let selfish considerations hold me back. America has kept out too long as it is. Now we've got to atone for our holding back by giving without reservation of our money and our men, and settling things up, and I must do my share. He had looked away as he talked, as if he could not bear to face her while breaking her heart. Now he turned his head, met her brave eyes, and suddenly broke down and wept. He fell on his knees beside her, hiding his face in her lap, his shoulders heaving as he tried to strangle his sobs. Pollyanna, bending over him, stroked his hair and murmured tender, comforting things. Her own eyes were quite dry. She waited a little before putting the question that meant so much to her, and then no one could have guessed, from her quiet voice, how her soul hung on his answer. "'When do you think they'll want you, Jimmy?' "'I shan't wait to be called. I'm going to throw up my job and go to Plattsburgh to be ready as soon as possible.' His sobs had quieted under her comforting touch. He got out his handkerchief and wiped his eyes shamefacedly, and then looked up at her with a watery smile. "'Didn't know I was such a baby,' he apologized. Her answering smile showed that she disdained to recognize this to the extent of giving it an answer. She went on stroking his hair, with a hand curiously steady, and he caught it, and kissed the blue-veined wrist, stirred to wondering reverence, like many another before him, by this revelation of strength in a representative of what has so long been designated the weaker sex. When he again took his place on the couch beside her, he tried to prove that he had completely recovered his poise by beginning to talk immediately of those practical questions which soon must be decided. "'I don't know what you'd prefer to do, Pollyanna. Of course, you can always go back to Aunt Polly. But now there'll be a great deal more than enough work for everybody. It might be easier for you if you stayed on in New York and got a position of some sort.' Pollyanna's lids dropped over her eyes, suggesting the lowering of an asbestos curtain before a brightly lighted stage. "'I think,' she said quietly, "'that I'll go home to Aunt Polly.' "'Well, that's for you to say, dear.' The slight hesitancy with which he received her decision suggested surprise. He waited a moment and then went on. "'As far as your ever needing anything is concerned, I'm not anxious.' I can trust Uncle John to look out for you as if he were my real father instead of an adopted one. That is another reason why I should be one of the first to go. There are so many fellows with wives and children entirely dependent on them. However, they long to help. They'd feel that they couldn't, don't you see? Pollyanna saw quite clearly. I'm glad, Jimmy, she said, that you're free to do the thing you feel is right. And you understand, Pollyanna, it's not because I don't love you that I want to go. That obsession of his generation, a dread of sentimentality, made it hard for him to bear his heart even in the supreme moment, but he went on stammeringly. One of the old fellows back in the days of Queen Elizabeth, or pretty near, said it for the millions of us who can feel things but aren't much on phrases. Don't you remember? I could not love thee, dear, so much. Loved I not honour more. True son of the twentieth century, 
he laughed feebly at himself. "'Don't make fun of me for quoting poetry to you,' he begged. The asbestos curtain was up now. The eyes she turned on him were ablaze with love and pride. "'Jimmy, I'm glad you're exactly as you are. It doesn't seem as if I could bear it to have you the least bit different.' For the remainder of the evening they discussed plans, pro and con, whether it would pay to move their furniture to Beldingsville, or be better to sell it, whether Pollyanna should stay in the apartment till their lease expired, or sublet it, and so on through a long list. And Jimmy, as if trying to atone for his breakdown, was extremely matter-of-fact, and Pollyanna met him fully halfway. A listener to the conversation would have gathered that the separation looming ahead was hardly more serious than a long business trip. But though they talked of so many things, some important and some trivial, not one word did Pollyanna say of her great secret. End of chapter 19 Recording by Claire